Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferrans. Day number two of Apprenticeship Week in America. A message from our Labor Secretary, Marty Walsh. Academic workers, almost 50,000 of them, on strike in California. And today on the show, the latest from the Ohio Federation of Teachers, and we check in with Iron Workers Local 33 in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Tuesday, November 15th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms, including... Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. We have two guests on the show today. We're going to start things off in a few minutes with Melissa Cropper, longtime supporter of the show. She comes to us from the Ohio Federation of Teachers, where she serves as president, oh.aft.org. And pretty much it's all about election results with Melissa today. You may recall last month when we had her on the show, she was talking about a couple of state board of education candidates, and they were supporting three of them. And guess what? All three of them won. Teresa Fedor in District 2, Katie Hoffman in District 4, and Tom Jackson in District 10. Two of those are retired teachers, union members. We'll talk about that as well. What this means with regard to the State Board of Education. And also the good news, a couple of school levies passed that they were supporting. That was in, uh, let's see, Cincinnati, New Lebanon, and Arlington. So Melissa's going to run all of that down. We'll also take a look at Congress. Not so uh, positive there. They, They won a few House seats that they were supporting. And then the Ohio Supreme Court which uh, will be in a conservative majority, especially in the chief justice spot. So uh, we'll cover all of that with uh, Melissa Cropper as our first guest. Steve Taverney will be joining us later in the show on behalf of Ironworkers Local 33 out of Rochester, New York, where he serves as business agent, apprenticeship coordinator, as well as recording secretary. And a key word this week is apprenticeship. This is National Apprenticeship Week. In fact, we'll be hearing from uh, Marty Walsh in a few minutes. But uh, Steve is really, really strong on apprenticeship training and what it can do for an individual and how that can lead to transformation within a community. He's got an incredible story to tell. He is a product of extreme poverty. In fact, he told me, You know, he was so poor, he didn't even know he was poor. And there's a lot of people in that category. And we've often said on the show, you get involved in the trades, and that's a pathway to the middle class. And I know National, NABTU, is doing everything possible to target underserved communities because we need workers. We need workers. Steve has an interesting story, as I referenced. uh, He tried to go to college. In fact, he had some scholarship money, and apparently his transcripts were uh, misplaced, so he was disqualified from the scholarship. That got him involved in the ironworkers, but not a union shop. It was a non-union shop, and then he found his way to uh, Local 33. It was a struggle. It was not a straight line, and he'll talk about it 
right here on America's Workforce. Now, a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. Well, as I indicated, this is National Apprenticeship Week. The U.S. Department of Labor announced the kickoff yesterday at more than 1,000 events and activities throughout the country as part of the 8th Annual National Apprenticeship Week. This will wrap up uh, on uh, Sunday, actually. Started yesterday, goes through Sunday. National Apprenticeship Week 2022 includes roundtable and panel discussions, conferences, career and trade fairs hosted by stakeholders in the proven, keyword is proven, earn-as-you-learn model, which connects individuals to paid work experience, classroom instruction, and a nationally recognized credential. It helps employers develop their future workforce. And in Washington, President Biden emphasized the importance of registered apprenticeships, in particular, their ability to increase opportunities for women in underrepresented communities. Today, Deputy Secretary of Labor Julie Sue and approximately 80 employers, representatives of industry associations and education providers, labor unions. I like that. You've got to include labor unions, along with the White House Office of the National Cyber Director and other federal agencies are meeting for an event marking the end of the 120-day cybersecurity sprint as a result of this effort which was announced back in July. There are more than 170 cybersecurity programs in development and more than 7,000 apprentices that have been hired in fewer than 120 days. That's quite an accomplishment, quite an accomplishment. Right now, I want to take you to Washington. Here's a message from uh, our Labor Secretary, Marty Walsh, on National Apprenticeship Week. Today marks the start of the 8th Annual National Apprenticeship Week. Registered apprenticeship is the gold standard for work-based learning and career opportunities. In this week, more than 1,000 events are being held to showcase its value. This year, we're also marking the 85th anniversary of the National Apprenticeship Act. That history is important. Over the years, apprenticeship played a critical role in growing the middle class. Today, under President Biden's leadership, the economy is adding millions of good jobs and registered apprenticeships is becoming an even more important tool to build a skilled, inclusive workforce. That's why we're doing our part to get the word out. Earlier this year, we ran a 90-day trucking apprenticeship challenge. It resulted in over 100 new programs and over 570 truck driver apprentices, meeting the critical supply chain needs. Based on that success, we launched the Cybersecurity Apprenticeship Sprint. When it wraps up this week, we'll have over 160 new cybersecurity programs moving forward and over 7,000 apprentices hired into this growing field. In addition, we really recently welcomed over 200 organizations to serve as apprenticeship ambassadors. They have committed to developing new programs and holding outreach activities nationwide. If you are an apprenticeship champion interested in serving as an ambassador, you can still apply. And this week, we're also thrilled to announce a new tool. It's an interactive map that displays growing number of apprentices working across the United States. The data can be broken down by gender, age, race, and ethnicity. It will help all of us to measure our progress and where we need to continue to grow, and we will be adding more data as we roll out new features. It's an exciting time to be investing in American workers.
So join us all as we highlight the value of registered apprenticeships. To learn more or find a local event, please visit apprenticeship.gov. We look forward to celebrating with you. Once again, that's our Labor Secretary, Marty Walsh. He pointed out, by the way, the average starting salary after completing a registered apprenticeship program, $77,000. $77,000. Can you believe that? We have a strike going on in California. Nearly 50,000 University of California academic workers went on strike yesterday as graduate students, quote, remain far apart on key issues. The students are asking UC, among other demands, to more than double their annual pay from 24000 to 54000 They're making $24,000 a year. How do you live on that? The workers perform vital functions in the academic system. They research, hold discussion sections, grade student work, even lead lectures. But they're also being stretched thin, especially as high rents eat into their pay. This would be, by the way, the country's largest academic worker strike at a time in the semester just weeks before finals where the university's reliance on grad student labor is at its highest. I always say, you got to do it at the right time. Strike while the iron is hot, and that's exactly what they're doing at the University of California. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Melissa Cropper checks in on behalf of the Ohio Federation of Teachers. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, and, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. So let's go to line number one. 
Welcome one of our longtime supporters. That would be Melissa Cropper, who is the president of the Ohio Federation of Teachers, oh.aft.org. And I was reading a story last week about the election and how the Ohio Federation was real happy with the results, especially with the State Board of Education. So, Melissa Cropper, welcome to the show. I can't wait to hear your take on what happened at the polls in the state of Ohio last week. And I want to start off with the uh, the State Board of Education because there were three candidates, and I know you talked about this on the show uh, in our last uh, segment last month, and uh, I guess we, we hit all three. So, Melissa, tell me what happened at the polls last week. Go ahead. Well, I, I'm glad you want to start with our State Board of Candidates, State Board of Education candidates, because that certainly were a huge victory for us. Again, those are elections that kind of get lost um, in all these other bigger elections that people hear about. But the State Board of Education has such an impact over the teaching profession, but more importantly, over what's happening for kids in our classrooms and the future of our students. Uh, and we saw over the past past few years how we had some really right right wing extremists on the board who were pushing back on um, long time fundamental concepts like equity, social emotional learning, whole child learning, things that are really important to uh, students to teachers. And so there are five openings on the state school board this year. Actually, five incumbents were up for reelection, although one of them chose not to run. We were able to find candidates to run in three of those seats and were successful in winning those three seats at the polls last week. So it was very, very exciting for us. So can you run down the individuals who you supported and uh, give us a little background on them and how that's going to make a difference? Go ahead. Absolutely. Uh, In the Cincinnati area, we had Katie Hoffman. Uh, Katie is a retired school teacher from Cincinnati Federation of Teachers and one of our uh, active retiree members right now. Uh, Katie's a music teacher in the Cincinnati area and has just uh, always stayed, even after retirement, has always stayed very engaged in education issues and in union work. Uh, When she agreed to run, we were very, very excited about it. We knew our membership in Cincinnati would support her. And she's just an incredibly hard worker because she's so passionate about the work about education. Uh, So we're very excited that she won in the Cincinnati area. She knocked off... um, Jenny Kilgore, who is an incumbent, who is associated with uh, Moms for Liberty. So people who aren't familiar with Moms for Liberty, that's the group that's um, actively promoting banning books and and um, things like that. So we are, you know, that was a huge, huge win for us to get a right-wing extremist off of the state school board and someone like Katie, who actually knows and understands education on the school board. Um, same in the Toledo area, uh, that... that um, that district actually ran from like Lucas County all the way over into Lorraine, et cetera. And that was our, our winning candidate there was Teresa Fetter. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people know Teresa as being a former state senator and former state representative. Uh, what they may not know is that Teresa was also a teacher before that. And again, another OFT teacher. So she retired from teaching and went into politics. And even as a legislator, was always very active in education issues, always been a strong supporter of school funding, and even um, equally important, uh, um, a huge supporter of teachers having a voice in their profession so that they can do the things that they know are right for students. Um, she, as a legislator, was um, actively engaged in trying to do away with the academic distress commissions that took over schools in Youngstown and Lorraine and East Cleveland. 
and has always been a, a huge advocate for public education. Um, she took uh, she took the seat that um, belonged to Kirsten Hill before. Now Kirsten Hill decided not to run for re-election, uh, but mm-hmm. she's one of the people who took buses to the Capitol on January 6th <laughs> to overthrow our, our government. So again, we've replaced someone like that who is on our state school board with someone with Teresa Fetter, who again knows very well public education and what's right for our students and for the profession and will be in there fighting all the time for us. And then in the Summit, Stark County area, we had um, Tom Jackson running. Tom is not a former teacher, but he has been involved in education in various ways and with education policy in various ways. Uh, And again, a strong advocate for public education. He's worked closely with uh, Phil Robinson, the representative from the Cleveland area, who is the uh, minority leader on the education committee at the state level. So uh, Phil Phil had tried to run for state senator before against Matt Dolan, who is a you know a pro voucher supporter. Uh, was not successful in beating him, but when we went back to him and asked him to run for state school board, he agreed to run. And again, it's just a big win for us. He he knocked off Tim Miller. Uh, Miller was not as bad as some of the other people on the school board that we hope to get rid of, but he still was not someone who we could solidly count on to be a supporter of public education. And again, was engaged with some of the um, anti-race. It was some of the was repealing some of the um, resolutions that we had around ending racism and things like that in our schools. Mm-hmm. So again, it was really important to have someone like Tom Jackson who's going to work with teachers and listen to teachers and, and do what's right for students in our public education system get on this seat. So it's just, you know, we, we still have a couple of extremists on the board. Um, unfortunately, we were not able to find candidates to run against John Hagan or Charlotte McGuire. Uh, wish we had been able to get those seats also, but they both got uh, reelected. But having three more people on there who are who really, really know education and want to do what's right for our students is a huge win, not just for us, but for students and, and parents across the state of Ohio. Mm-hmm. How long are those terms on the State Board of Education, Melissa? I believe those are four-year terms. Okay. All right. Well, there's there's always, you know, two or four years from now, there could be some changes, too, for the other individuals you referenced. But I, I want to go back to the the two retired teachers that uh, won on those state board seats, Katie Hoffman and Teresa Fedor. Now, Teresa, I know she's been in politics before, but Katie has not. She's a retired. And I know the AFL-CIO nationally has been pushing a lot of union brothers and sisters to get involved in politics. And, and yeah. I'm just wondering, is this part of that campaign to make sure that, I mean, they, they know the profession, they, they know schools, and it's important that they get exactly. into positions that, that are going to craft what our kids are learning. Is, is that part of the uh, situation here? Exactly. You know, AFL-CIO runs a Pathway to Power program specifically for um, union members to get them engaged in politics. Katie, in particular, became a Pathway to Power candidate, which means that we were able to put, AFL-CIO was able to put some support behind her, um, help her with resources, and, you know, do what we, you know, make sure that we did everything we could to help get her elected. And like you said, it is just so critically important that we're, we're finding our people who actually understand the work 
and who understand the importance of having a union, who are out there supporting us and promoting our, our ideas and making sure that they're giving us the, the foundation for what we need to do every day on our jobs. Mm-hmm. So we need more people like Katie who are willing to step up. We had other Pathway to Power candidates across the state. Um, who unfortunately were not successful in winning the races, and it's a it's a huge shame. But again, sometimes you have to do something more than once. So all, all of our pathway to power candidates that we had across the state, I hope they will continue to push forward and trying to win seats in the future. And to all our union members out there, I mean, we just we just really need people to step up, like you said, in the education field. We need people who understand what it's like to be a teacher, to be at the state house working on education policy instead of leaving it in the hands of people whose only experience is they graduated from high school. Right. Uh, we right. need, and, and it's the same for same in other professions. Also, we need nurses who understand nursing to are running. We need people who worked in the private sector to under to understand how important it is for a union voice. We need them in our legislative fighting to make sure that we continue to have that union voice. And that's where we put you know, the put the D and the R, the independent, and everything else aside, and let's support union members who understand what we stand for and put them there in the legislature where they can continue to promote and support us. Let's uh, focus on some of the school funding levies. I I see Cincinnati, New Lebanon, and Arlington were uh, three of the cities where where levies passed, and obviously that had support from the Ohio Federation, right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Our levies are always important. Across the state, I'm still digging into numbers. It seems like a lot of places, levies were not so successful this time around. I'm sure that's because of problems with inflation, et cetera. But we were very, very successful with those, uh, with the levies that we had running and were able to win those. Cincinnati was a renewal. I can't remember for sure on the other two. But levies are always important to our, our districts, and we always, as a union, work with our members to give them any resources that they need to help go out and, and work to pass those levies. All right, let's look at uh, the other races here in Congress and then the uh, Supreme Court. I, I guess a couple of wins there, but on the Senate side, not so good. What's your take on what happened? Ohio is just a really difficult state to win right now. You know, we had we just had an incredible candidate with Tim Ryan, uh, can't say enough good things about you know Tim Ryan and what he has done for labor and for the people of Ohio as a congressman. And he worked incredibly hard throughout this election. Uh, I think what this election shows us is that um, money matters, and there was a lot of outside money that J.D. Vance got um, in this election. That allowed him to, you know, be up on air and permeate the airways with a, a negative message about Tim Ryan. And I think, you know, Tim fought as hard as he could. He can't be every place all the time, um, but he definitely was out there working hard, talking to our people. And if you look at at the the difference in in the governor's race and in the Senate race, you can see that. Tim was very successful in getting people to vote a split ticket. A lot of people who voted for a Republican governor voted for Tim Ryan for a Senate, but it just wasn't enough people um, to get him over the finish line. 
And that's unfortunate. I mean, that's just really unfortunate for Ohio because he has been such an incredible congressman and he would have been a phenomenal voice for us in the in the U.S. Senate. And I hope I know there's still a future for him in politics and we, we need him. We need him out there fighting for us um, in whatever capacity we can get him out there. But just can't say enough. Give him enough kudos for the the, the great campaign that he ran. Um, and it's a, it's a loss for Ohio, a huge loss for Ohio. One more here, Melissa, before you go, and that's the Ohio Supreme Court race. And I was surprised that uh, Jennifer Bruner did so poorly running for chief justice against uh, Sharon Kennedy. Although, like you said, there's a lot of money. Uh, especially to make sure that the the court stays as conservative as possible. What scares me, and it probably scares you, too, because, uh, you know, Maureen O'Connor, who is a Republican, was the swing vote when it comes to those uh, redistricting cases before the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. That's got to be a concern, don't you you think, going forward here? Because they they still haven't addressed that issue. Yeah, yeah, it's a a huge concern. Uh, um, Again, just it's just so unfortunate that these Supreme Court candidates didn't prevail, and especially, like you said, Jennifer Bruner not winning that seat. It's hard to predict what this is going to mean for redistricting in Ohio because the, you know, the Supreme Court had um, had been uh, had had been declaring these maps unconstitutional, and now it's hard to say uh, what will happen with those maps, as well as other important issues such as uh, vouchers in schools and, and right. other issues like that that we're going to have to deal with. Um, this shows that uh, putting party denomination on the ticket makes a difference. Uh, we have been, you know, we had been successful in winning Supreme Court seats when it was just based upon the candidates and how they stood on issues. Democrats were winning those elections. Past two election cycles, we picked up seats on the Supreme Court. Um, scared the le- that scared the legislature, so they, t- they decided to put party denomination um, on the Supreme Court races now. And it made a difference. People voted based upon party denomination instead of based upon issues at that point in time. And uh, that hurt us. That really hurt us, unfortunately. And it's, it's going to have an impact on the future of the state of Ohio. Melissa Cropper, president of the Ohio Federation of Teachers, oh.aft.org. I know you're in uh, Washington with the uh, organizing committee of the American Federation of Teachers. I know you're uh, vice president on that board, so maybe we could talk more about that next time. I also want to throw out the uh, Facebook page, OFT Union, and you could follow the Ohio Federation on Twitter at OFT Advocate. You take care, stay safe, and uh, we'll talk in December, okay? Thank you. Take care also. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Steve Taverney on behalf of Ironworkers Local 33 will be joining us. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrans. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. The United Auto Workers are one of the largest and most diverse unions in North America, with members in virtually every sector of the economy. 
Learn more about this proud sponsor of our program at UAW.org. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at afge.org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. From the Golden Gate Bridge to the St. Louis Gateway Arch, the Sears Tower, and just about every building, bridge, and structure in between, our cities and towns wouldn't be the same without iron workers. With over 3,000 contractors employing more than 130,000 highly trained iron workers and 20,000 apprentices, the Iron Workers Union stands ready and able to shape the future of our skylines. Learn more at ironworkers.org. Iron Workers, the sky's the limit. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. And when you get an opportunity, here's what you do. Just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. Let's go to uh, Rochester, New York right now. And joining us on line number two is Stephen Taverney. Stephen is business agent, apprenticeship coordinator, and recording secretary for Ironworkers Local 33, ironworkers33.org is their website. And I should point out that the Ironworkers are national sponsors of America's workforce. In fact, we record the show Monday through Friday at Ironworkers Local 17 in Cleveland, Ohio. Steve Taverney, welcome to the show, brother. How are we doing today? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. You know, this is uh, National Apprenticeship Week, and I know you want to talk about that. And uh, I want to talk about how you got involved with the iron workers. And I'll tell you, this was not an easy road. And uh, you were beaten down. You, you try to get a chemical engineering degree. I, talk to me about this. I think people need to hear your story because it's one of perseverance. Go ahead. So I graduated from high school uh, a little early. I, I was young when I started. Uh, I worked hard, got a, almost a full scholarship to Clarkson University on their chemical engineering program. But uh, I was disqualified from my scholarship because my transcripts from high school were not sent in for my uh, federal and state awards, which my scholarship was based on the amounts that I got from those. So I had to defer my admissions for a year. And in the meantime, I had discovered this trade of ironwork through a friend of mine. And I started doing the work and realized... Well, I was, I was smart enough to realize that I could really retire like a boss if I stuck with this rather than the chemical engineering from Clarkson. So I tried to get into the ironworkers local that was closest to me. And uh, it was on the, the Indian reservation, and they weren't very welcoming of me joining their apprenticeship. So I headed out and worked non-union for probably four or five years before I found my way into Rochester's local. And that four or five years working non-union, 
Talk to me about that part in your life. That had to be kind of interesting. No, it was it was interesting to say the least. It was it was hard. It was tough. Um, a non-union journeyman doesn't really want to teach you anything because you're going to take their job. <laughs> so it was it was a rough road. I uh, I learned a lot of things on my own. Uh, this was before the days of the internet, so I was going to the library and getting books and whatever I could find to train myself, basically. And uh, that, which ultimately led me into becoming an instructor here with the local is, you know, I had realized how much training and education I missed as an iron worker, not having gone through the apprenticeship. Because I, I didn't do an apprenticeship when I came here. I worked on Union. I heard they were looking for help here in Rochester. So they put me on a permit, which permitted me to work in the local and make journeyman money. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't officially a member. And uh, I was lucky that they saw the value in my efforts. And uh, after a year and a half of being on permit, they issued me a membership to the local. So, Steve, explain that part to me. Because you had experience in the the non-union sector, you didn't have to go through the apprenticeship program, or you didn't want to go through it, or you you wish you went through it. Can you you reflect on that part in your life? It's actually all three. there wasn't going to be a necessity that I go through it in order to work on permit. Well, the iron workers don't use a permit system anymore. It's a probationary system now. So back when I broke in, if you were on permit, you could work in the local, but you weren't necessarily going to be a member. If they saw the value in your work, you would get to stick around. But if not, then you were going to probably go down the road when the work dried up. Mm-hmm. And... and it- they did offer the apprenticeship, but I had turned it down because I, I felt that I was above being an apprentice, which I understand now was uh, not the smartest choice to make. So I passed over on the apprenticeship, but I learned quickly in my course of being a journeyman iron worker that I missed out on a lot of valuable training. Yeah. So I took a lot of that as a journeyman. I would come to classes and, and do a lot of that stuff. And once I saw the value in the training, then I became passionate about it and became an instructor and found my way here into the office as a coordinator. Yeah, yeah. And and you left Clarkson University in the rearview mirror. You didn't even think about ever going back then, huh? No, 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 no. Not not once I joined the local. I mean, once I was getting kicked around as non-union, you know, that thought's always in your head that something better than this. I mean, I started as an iron worker for eight dollars an hour i mean that's <laughs> unthinkable nowadays yeah exactly what year are we talking about when you first started then 1991 okay well 30 some years ago and how long have you been affiliated with local 33 now well 26 years i'm working on my 26th year here good for you good for you how many members in 33 right now we probably have 180 active members yeah. Okay. How's the work in that area? Work has been great. Uh, this infrastructure bill is really going to be a big boon for us. The wind turbine work is in the jurisdiction of the iron worker. Uh, we actually got a wind farm going right now. And this uh, chip manufacturing is going to be enormous. Yeah. I mean, the projection for work for that is just through the roof for years and years and years. Our big tr- struggle is going to be 
manning pe- manning the jobs and organizing people and getting new apprentices. Now, let me ask you, when you talk about organizing, you've had experience in the non-union sector here. And I'm, I'm just wondering, because I, I, you've got to have some fire in your belly to go back to that area and say, hey, come over to the, to the bright side of life over here. Things are a whole lot better. And maybe organize a few of those uh, brothers over there and probably a couple of sisters as well. Is any of that happening, Steve? It is, as a matter of fact. Um I, I'm, I am passionate about organizing because anybody that is brave enough and diligent enough at this trade deserves, deserves the higher wage for it. They deserve the benefits. They deserve the health care. They deserve their pension. I mean, I, it's enormous. That's what sold me on all of this was the pension. Because I was sitting there as an 18-year-old kid doing the math in my head on how the pension worked and, and, and saying, you know, I'd have to save a million and a half dollars to retire for as long as I plan on being retired as an iron worker. And that's just not happening. You know, with me pulling that money out of my check and trying to stuff it away somewhere or investor, mm-hmm. it's a lot more stable way to approach your retirement for sure. Yeah. 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 That's got to be a big sell, you know, especially, but now when it comes to the younger folks, I don't know if they fully understand retirement security. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you've had that conversation a number of times when you're young, you, you know what, you're footloose and fancy free. You, you do your, you work hard at the end of the day, maybe you'll pop in for a local brew or two and enjoy life. And you know, retirement is just not in the mirror <laughs> right away. When I do these trade shows, it's amazing to me when I mention pension to, to these kids that are currently in high school and they've heard the word, but they don't have any idea what it actually means. I mean, it's it's a big of enough deal to me that I rewrote our wage sheet from what is our official Department of Labor wage sheet, and I just made it something that's a lot easier to understand. And I put a, an example of how a pension works on there. You know, I use I use our pension as an example. For every year you work 1,200 hours, you earn $122 per month toward a pension. So if you're a young kid and you start at 20 and you retire at 55, that's 35 years projects to $4,200 a month on a pension. And when they hear it explained like that, it gets their attention. Like you're saying you, I can retire at 55 and have like a thousand dollars a week for life. It's like winning the lottery. (laughs) (laughs) And then you add social security on top of that, right? We add your annuity. We also have an annuity that, uh, you know, a 20 year old kid's going to have, probably more in that annuity than most people end up with in their 401k. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, when you hit your social security age, you collect that as well. Yeah. Yeah. You can have a very comfortable life. And, and to what you said before, there's a lot of work out there. I'm just wondering, uh, and I want, I want to get into your apprenticeship program and you, you know that this is national apprenticeship week. Is there anything that local 33 is doing to uh, kind of step it up a few notches? Yeah, sure. We have uh, some job fairs coming up. There's a big compressor uh, later today at one of our tech schools. Uh, we have an educator's day toward the end of the week, which is basically a job fair for guidance counselors. So the kids don't come to this one. Their teachers and their principals and their guidance counselors all come, and we get a chance to explain to them what we have to offer for their students. There's been a big push by a lot of schools to send kids to college, which 
that, that almost seems unfair to me in a way. You know, the, the trades don't want the kids, the, just the kids that don't want to go to college. We want some of those kids that think college is the way to go, too. I mean, there's enough work for everybody. There's enough to go around for everybody. And there's no reason why a, a young person should be convinced that going into debt to get a degree and then fight your way to find a job is the only way to be successful. Yeah. I think that dynamic is changing. Uh, and you know what? Let, let's take a break and we can talk more about that because I think the student loan debt crisis has probably woken up a lot of people in America and they're wondering, you know what? There's got to be a better way to make some money. And what you just laid on to me about the $4,200 a month and you throw an annuity and Social Security yeah, there's a very comfortable life ahead if you want to get involved in the trade, specifically ironworkers and ironworkers 33. Steve Taverney joining us on a live line today. He's business agent, apprenticeship coordinator, and recording secretary at Ironworkers Local 33. That's ironworkers33.org. We'll be back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Layuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Layuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with Layuna. Find out what it takes for Layuna to keep America running at Layuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. Hi, this is Liz Schuler, president of the AFL-CIO, and I am a huge fan of Flash and America's Workforce Radio and Podcast. The United Steelworkers of America represent over 70,000 workers in the state of Ohio. Steelworker members enjoy the benefits of some of the best contracts of any workers in the world. Many of your friends, neighbors, and relatives are members of one of the most effective Democratic unions in our country. With the pressures unorganized workers are under in today's economy, you need to join them. So call the Steelworkers Organizing Office at 216-292-5683 or toll-free at 1-800-443-3752. The AFL-CIO is a proud sponsor of America's Workforce Radio. United by efforts to raise wages, listeners to this show and workers all across America are beginning to turn a corner and drive the economic debate. The AFL-CIO is comprised of 12.5 million working people, but we stand with and fight for everyone who is working for a better life. For more information about our Raising Wages agenda, go to AFLCIO.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Let's go back to Rochester, New York right now and rejoin Steve Taverney, who is a business agent, apprenticeship coordinator, and recording secretary. Man, has a lot of hats. And he is with Ironworkers Local 33 with about 180 members right now. Ironworkers33.org for more information. Steve, you were talking to uh, us in the uh, first segment about your... Uh, your entrance into the ironworkers, and it was not a straight line. You you had you had some uh, hurdles to jump over, and you came from uh, you came from a very poor family. Can can you talk about that? And I, I bring this up 
because I've talked to so many brothers and sisters in the trades, and the, the common denominator is that the trades, that is the pathway to the middle class. And I, I know the trades are concentrated, and nationally, I might add, on a lot of underserved communities to get to that population and say, you know what, there's a better life out there. And, and you were talking to us about the pensions, the money that can be made. And I'm just wondering, with your background, I'm sure you have related to a lot of people in your area, which would be Rochester, about that story and how that's resonating. Can, can you speak to that? Uh, sure. Um, so I was born in the Malone, New York area, uh, in a really small town outside of Malone. And uh, neither of my parents had a high school diploma. They both worked. We were a big family, five boys. Um, my parents both worked their asses off. They were good people. They just didn't have the education to pull the amount of money out of their toil that they should have been able to pull out. We always had food to eat. We had clothes to wear, but it took a lot of it was us children rolling up our sleeves and, you know, we foraged for, for food. We hunted for food and I'll, I'll admit sometimes if a car hit something on the road and, it was a, an edible animal. We brought that sucker home. And, and when you grow up without anything like that, you don't even know you're poor when you're a kid like that. You don't realize until you start to get a little bit older that, wait a minute, my life is a little bit different than those other kids. So you're, you're kind of have a, a setback to start with. You have really don't have the resources that another kid has. And the trades, they, we don't care where you came from. We don't care how you got to our front door. But if you're knocking on our door, we want to tell you all about us and what we can do for you. I mean, it's not a free ride. The iron work is hard. It's, there's nothing easy about being an iron worker until you hit that retirement age. You take your foot off the throttle and start to see some of those things about life that you didn't have the time to see when you were rolling your sleeves up and getting at it yeah steve when uh, when they join the apprenticeship program when you get those uh recruits uh do you have a pretty good retention of those what to what you just said this is not easy work this is tough and maybe it might scare a few folks is that happening so yeah and our organizing efforts we're honest and upfront from the beginning that this is this isn't easy so if you're if you're going to apply, we're going to expect a lot out of you. And, I mean, it's just the nature of our business. Our contractors call, and they want to hire iron workers, and they don't want to wait till tomorrow to get them. They don't want them to be late to the job. So our standard has to be met when we send somebody out to work. So we need to make sure that we're selecting the right people to begin with and that they, they come into this understanding what's going to be expected of them. Mm-hmm. How I is your relationship with the contractors in Rochester, Steve? It's good. Our signatory contractors are easy to work with. Um, they appreciate the level of training that we provide our members. You know, they, and they they also have a responsibility to train too by the part uh, Department of Labor. But what they can get here in the classrooms with our hands on really does prepare these young people to get out there and be productive for them. Mm -hmm. 
You've got to be excited. You, you touched on this briefly in the first segment about the work and the windmills. And uh, I'd like to get your perspective on what an iron worker does with uh, like like windmills. And uh, you mentioned the chips plant, too. And I'm just wondering if you could probably paint a picture for, for those listening right now that might want to enter the field. And especially, you know, they might even be in your area right now. I mean, we're podcast nationally. Can you uh, can you tell us some details on how that uh, all fits in? Sure. Um, so down at uh, Barron Wind Farm, we have probably thirty five iron workers down there right now, uh, apprentices all the way up to journeymen. We have an offload gang that I think is just starting to f- uh, finish up. I believe all the components are all but arrived on site. So they offload. We have a whole crew of iron workers that just offload the parts and stage them for the erectors, and then we have a crew that comes around and stacks towers. They put towers up to a, whatever point they can put them up to before the nacelle needs to be put on. Then we have another crew that comes by and does the remaining tower sections, the nacelle, the hub blades. So we got a lot of young people climbing towers all day. And if anybody really wants to come and get an idea what it looks like, they can always visit our Facebook page, check out our website, We've got some photos up of us in action with wind turbine projects. What is your Facebook page? Uh, Ironworkers33. Okay, just like the website, ironworkers33.org. Does that excite the the younger generation with with all this new stuff happening here? Because, you know, technology has changed. I mean, we're, you know, dealing with climate change right now. I mean, we're talking about building the future here. How is that resonating? Uh, I I hope it's resonating well with these younger people. You know, it's... It's a responsibility of mine to make sure that I paint an adequate enough picture for them so that they are able to really, truly get an idea of what they'll be doing. I mean, this ironwork, this isn't just pay. It's not just about the money. To me and to probably pretty much any other union ironworker, it's about the work. I mean, the work is some of the most exciting work that you can do. It's you know, I, I can't tell you how many days of my life that I was up there at 7 a.m. and the sun's rising, and I was just so grateful that I was making good money and I was a part of all of that, you know, part of something yeah. that, that is that big. Yeah, you, you drive by and you say, hey, you know what? I was there. I was there. And I, I, I helped make that happen. And, and part of your, your, uh, your union title is ornamental. I mean, there's, there's a craft involved in all of this. And it's, it's so important. That's where the apprenticeship training comes all together. Steve, you're an interesting guy. I, I really, uh, I, I talk to people every day on this show. We do a whole lot with the trades. And it's just, it's fun to hear what you were able to accomplish. You had a rough beginning. You came from poverty. You didn't even know you were poor. I mean, I've heard that so many times from people that grew up that way. But you were able to, uh, you know, pick up the bootstraps and move on and and become what you are today, which is pretty amazing. Business agent, apprenticeship coordinator, coordinator and recording secretary. I have to ask you here as we close out the the show, um, the challenges. I mean, you're in a leadership position. You like what you do. Um, you're seeing a lot of young people come in every day. You speak to them. You tell them what you did, what they can possibly accomplish with the with the with the right teaching and the, with the right tools, of course. So, how would you view the challenges 
in uh, in iron working what's your what's your answer to that steve uh if you're if you're talking as a iron worker boots on the ground just yeah the the everyday grind of being an iron worker uh, you're up early you sometimes you're traveling a little bit to get to work we work a lot of overtime as iron workers and that can be difficult especially when it's for an extended period of time um we, we do a lot of shutdown type work. So if a, pl- a factory needs to shut down a line and do some repairs on it, they'll shut it down and then run two seven or two 12-hour shifts just to get it back up and running. So And it might be seven days a week, so you might be working seven 12s for four, five, six weeks. And it's tough, but that's why I like to teach math so much in my program is because that was always the thing that got me through those moments is I would do the math out on a beam, right on with my soapstone, and write out how much money I was making to go through all of this right now. And that, <laughs> for me, that was enough to <laughs> got me up and get me back to work. There's an incentive there, no doubt about that. <laughs> so, where would you like to see uh, 33? I, I mean, uh, you, you're, you're um, maybe, would you like to be business manager someday? I mean, you got a lot of hats right now. What's your future look like, Steve? Well, uh, today is actually my 50th birthday, so that means I can retire in five years from today if I so choose. Uh-huh. Um, my aspirations are, are to just do whatever I can to grow my local. Uh, and really, that's all it is. I mean, there, there's not a, a huge difference in responsibilities between a business manager and a business agent. We work as a team. I, I'm more than happy to do whatever I can do to help my local. You know, uh, the iron workers and Rochester have been here for 120 years this year and I go places and mention that I'm an iron worker and and people don't know what an iron worker is I mean if I if I do anything good for this local it's to for the recognition for everything that we've done for this city for the 120 years we've been here that that would be an ideal scenario for me just to see the name out there Steve Taverney Business agent, apprenticeship coordinator, recording secretary, Ironworkers, local 33, ironworkers33.org. So you're 50 today. Any special uh, plans for your, your birthday? Work. <laughs> <laughs> it never I, ends. It's a National Apprentice Week, so I got to stay on my toes all week. There you go. <laughs> Steve, stay in touch with us. I love talking to you. Uh, your story is compelling, and I'm sure you uh, probably inspired a lot of people today on America's well, Workforce. So you take care and stay safe, okay, brother? Thanks for having me on. All right. That's it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to check in with the American Federation of Government Employees and the heat and frost insulators. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.